Cybercrimes, Cybersecurity, and Computer Science on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. So, Rachel, we are speaking with your former student and a current engineer. It's super exciting. Wait, you got to say her name again because that's maybe the third best part of this. We're referring to our guest, Sam Houston, software engineer who studied computer science and who works in security today. It's your hosts, Rachel Farrig and Pius Wong, talking to Rachel's former student, Sam Houston. Rachel, I understand that you're really proud of what Sam, uh, what she's done and what she studied, what she's doing now. Um, Sam, I was wondering if you could introduce who you are besides being Rachel's former student. Um, Well, that is the most important thing about me, but (laughs) the second most important thing. Um, I am a software engineer originally from Austin, Texas. I went to school near Houston at my namesake university, Sam Houston State. I studied cybersecurity and information assurance and digital forensics while I was in school. And now I work for a government contractor. I'm a software engineer. Yeah. And I have to say this again, y'all, her name is Sam Houston. Isn't that that major street (laughs) in Houston? Am I getting confused? (laughs) It's kind of an important figure. (laughs) This is the best thing ever. He's the guy that Houston was named after. (laughs) Oh, right. Now you can tell that I I don't know anything about Texas. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit better looking than you. So, Sam, um, thank you for introducing yourself. Sam, can you tell us what is cybersecurity and and basically what is that field that you studied? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, so I guess the first aspect of it is information assurance. So obviously, first and foremost, you don't want your private information to get out, whether that be social security number, credit card information, other personally identifiable information, um, things like that. The, the same hacks that we read about in the news, like, oh, Target got hacked, and now they're, like, everyone's credit card got stolen, that sort of thing. That's information assurance is preventing that from happening. Um, digital forensics is the flip side of that. It's, oh, crap, it happened. Now we got to figure out who did it and then what we can do to prevent it from happening again. Um, and that also rolls into... Um, it's become more of a thing lately now that technology is more prevalent that uh, people are using their computers and phones and all of the technology available to, to them to commit crimes. And so, I mean, things like, uh, unfortunately, child pornography or selling drugs on the black market, like all of that is done from people's computers now. And to be able to get evidence, collect evidence that's permissible in court for um when we're trying to go after these people, that's the forensic side of it is now they've done something wrong. We tried to prevent it. And if they already did something wrong, how do we prove that it was them and kind of making those try to stay one step ahead of them. And so they're not, uh, they're not getting a leg up on us, I guess. You're kind of this dual major. You sound like partly computer science, partly criminal justice. Yeah, so same Houston State, it's in Huntsville, Texas, so it's right across the highway. My apartment was actually like, I could look out my window and see the prison, Um, but that's the state prison. Uh, We boast that we we execute more people in Huntsville, Texas than they do in the rest of the country combined. Whoa. (laughs) I know. It's not, I'm not so proud of it. That's what we are. Um, That's where the prison is. That's where death row is in Texas. Um, And there's also the Criminal Justice Center, so same Houston State, one of their big um, disciplines, I guess, is the school of criminal justice. And so it kind of made sense that we'd be kind of cybersecurity ish. And I, I believe we were the first school to have a master's in digital forensics. And I want to say here in 2017, they just got a PhD program in digital forensics as well. So we're kind of a bit cutting edge in that respect, or at least we try to be, hmm. they try to be, I, I was one of them years ago. Um, but I did, I majored in computer science and then my concentration was in the information assurance and digital security. So what interested you about that? How did you end up choosing to study that? It wasn't all Rachel's fault, was it? Oh, well, <laughs> oh, Lord, I hope not. <laughs> well, I had seen, we've all seen like the cool, like cop shows and stuff and like men in black and, uh, 
And actually, the FBI field office is in Houston, um, not far from here. And they, I know, work with some of the grad students as well at Sam Houston State and get a lot of uh, employees from there. So I had this opportunity to do something kind of at first when I was just looking like, oh, I could just do computer science. I could do the like making video games. And like I wasn't super into that. I wanted to be able to do something like really cool and meaningful. And so cybersecurity and kind of after I visited the school and seeing how that program was, it just sounded so interesting and like something that like I could go back to the family dinner table and be like, you wouldn't believe what I did today. Like I caught a child predator. What did you do? You wrote World of Warcraft. Like, I don't know. Like this is so much more cool and it's like meaningful. And so there's like obviously the vulnerable, vulnerable communities that are being targeted for different like cyber crimes and stuff and to be able to protect those people and know that what you do at the end of the day like has an impact on somebody other than like making sure their video games up and running i thought that that was really cool and super meaningful and something that i could actually like be interested in doing every day hmm. do you think we what we need in cybersecurity today is is different from what it was a couple of years ago is the field changing Oh, for sure. Like I said, the bad guys are getting more and more sophisticated with what they do. And that just means for us, like, on the, I guess, the good side, the good people over here on the good side of things, not on the dark side, uh, we have to keep up or try to stay one step ahead of them so that they're not able to prey on these folks that can't necessarily protect themselves in ways that we weren't anticipating. You kind of have to anticipate it and prevent it before they even think of it. Otherwise, it's too late. So I think that it's it's ever-growing in that because, I mean, eventually someone's going to figure out something new and we want to be the guys to do it first. Hmm. And what would you say is one of the most interesting things or, or most fulfilling things that you've gotten out of being in this field? Um. Well, actually, something like super interesting. I don't know how appropriate it is to talk about, but like I said, there's a lot of like child pornography stuff involved. It's kind of the dark side of digital forensics. People are using computers to do really awful things. Yeah. Well, I had heard of, I didn't work on this personally, but it was one of the like examples that was given to us in school of something that had been, that they had been working on recently in the field was that there's a virus that will download itself onto your computer in the background. It will download a bunch of child and put it on your hard drive and then delete itself the virus so you'd never know what's there and so once we finally figured out that this virus was a thing now you start to think okay how many guys are sitting in prison right now because there was child porn on their computer and they uh, i mean all of them say oh that's not mine but what if for some of them it really wasn't theirs and so we're trying to figure out techniques of obviously we want to figure out who did what, but we also want to make sure that like, who didn't do what, you know, we don't want people being falsely imprisoned for this sort of stuff. So then it's like, okay, how do we, does it leave any sort of signature behind um, this virus? Like after it downloads and attaches itself, can we tell that it was ever there, even though it deleted itself? Can we uh, tell that these files that it downloaded that had inappropriate content, if those were ever actually accessed by the user or if they were just stored on their hard drive? And it's kind of, it's a new... And it's things like that kind of new, um, I guess, uncharted territory, because you think like mm. it's black and white, you have child porn or you don't, but it's, it's, it's hard to say and it's hard to legislate that sort of thing and have a um, precedent for. And so it's kind of on the bleeding edge of that sort of thing of trying to make sure the bad guy goes where the bad guy needs to go, but the good people aren't taken down with them, you know? Yeah. No, it strikes me that if you want to be a solid professional in this arena, you, you not only have to be good at the technology, but also kind of well-versed in, in laws or ethics, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Especially on the digital forensics side of things, like one um, possible career path is to be an expert witness. So you become so good at your job of data gathering and um, evidence um, collecting and stuff like that, that you can sit in court and say that this is, like my expert opinion on what occurred and why, whether or not this person should go to prison for it, how they did it, what they did. And you have to interpret that obviously to terms that a jury would understand. I can't be telling you that like they hid 
child porn JPEGs in the Slack space of their text files. Like that doesn't necessarily make sense to everybody. And so you kind of have to be able to explain that another way. And that kind of brings out the like teacher in me as well mm. is to have the, uh, of course, I'm sure I had many inspiring teachers. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, got me kind of into that, but uh, I, I just, I've always kind of had this teacher side as well of trying to explain things. And maybe that's why I get the, um, urge to like protect, I guess. And so you think of like these children that can't speak out themselves or the elderly folks whose social security numbers are being stolen. And like, I feel this like protective need and this need to like explain to people so that they know how to protect themselves or to get the laws, I guess, that set the precedents for like new issues and stuff like that in such a way that it's like, it makes sense to everybody. And they kind of know what to look for. You definitely don't want to be the guy that gets this virus downloaded on his computer and then has a bunch of child porn and you didn't know about it. Like you need to have more like self-awareness, I guess, of your computer environment, technology environment, not just your, your computer, your cell phone, your tablet, your everything. Right. So you were talking about how your, your past teachers might have inspired you a little bit in what you're doing now. And it sounds like you kind of developed that sense of wanting to change the world and have a positive impact. And you have that sense of justice, but also this interest in technology. What do you think led to you having those goals? And, and if it was just Rachel, so, you can say, so, it was, it was I cannot, <laughs> it was no. Rachel. She was the no. Best. And in fact, she I was, was I don't even remember any of my other teacher's <laughs> names. No, she was completely not true. Obviously. She, and I hope that she calls this other teacher out by name, because what I will say is I think that Sam did have a lot of strong female role model teachers who showed that you could be cute and wear cute clothes and have makeup and also be smart and do sciencey things. And it was fun and awesome, but I was not There's the teacher that actually did come to mind. Yeah. I probably mentioned. Her. Yeah. I, and I, she really, I think made so much of a difference in so many young girls lives. So Sam, just take it away. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I'll start let me just start back from the beginning. I was born in a small town. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so how I got into this was that my dad, um, he's a systems analyst in Austin. And so, I mean, he was kind of at like the beginning of the 90s when like people were starting to get more like personal computers in their house. And it was like everyone had the one family computer. My dad was kind of the guy that was super interested in that sort of stuff. And so he would like dumpster dive for computers and at his work when there'd be, oh, this computer doesn't work. He would kind of Frankenstein a lot of them together. So I had like five computers in my house wow. growing up, all running some flavor of like Windows 95 through like Vista. And I like, that's, that's what I did for fun. But then I was also, as I was growing up, like that was the nerdy thing. Like you didn't, I don't know, it was uncool to be the guy that was on computers especially for a female like that wasn't what we did we were supposed to be out like cheerleading and stuff and so I kind of pushed it aside for a lot of it I happen to know a lot about computers because I was around them all the time at home but I never thought that it would be something and I mean it's totally uncool to be like doing exactly what your dad's doing <laughs> it's not cool um so I was supposed to be like a actress or a dancer or something and I was interested in those things and I did like the acting and I did theater and I took all the dance classes and I mean they're while they're like fun and they itch that creative part of me, they didn't, uh, they, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of money to be made. Like you have to get really lucky in those professions to be able to like make a living off of it. And so I wanted to be able to, uh, tolerate something in my day to day that I would like, would like to do every single day of my life. And then that would also afford me the, ability to have hobbies that I like, like if I wanted to take a dance class now, I could totally like pay to do that if I wanted to, but I'm not worried about dancing, putting food on the table. So I guess that brings me back. I was doing like on this whole journey of like, okay, what do I actually want to do with my life? Since I am, I, do, I don't want to do like the creative thing, the like acting or singing or any of that for a career. Sure. Um, what am I good at? And it's not cool to be smart. 
And so, like, I was in all the advanced math classes and stuff always. I was in, like, the pre-AP and AP sciences and histories and stuff. And it was kind of, it, it wasn't cool to be there. So I was never like, oh, no, I'm never going to do any of this stuff. I'm just trying to, like, get out of high school. Right. And then it was, I, I had to take the like required technology course in high school where you learn like typing and Photoshop and we learned like basic HTML and stuff like that. And so we had these little labs that we do every day. And I got so, I like, they were so like second nature to me, like the typing and the Photoshop thing we did. I'm trying to remember what other weird tasks that we had, but it was like just computer literacy basically. And I was so good at these labs that I would like, he'd give us the, he was like the football coach and he taught the technology. Hmm. He would have me help the other students. He'd give us like three or four days to complete these assignments. And when I do it like in an hour, he'd be like, Hey, can you also help these people over here? And then I went around and I was also helping them. And it kind of occurred to me like, wow, I just took for granted that everyone had like 10 computers in their house growing up and that they all knew all of this. Meanwhile, like they couldn't figure out how to open whatever application they needed on their computer. Like it kind of, surprised me like wow I am really good at this compared to people I didn't quite realize I guess I need to go home and thank my dad for being such a nerd because he exposed me to all this early on back when not everyone had the privilege and so I realized I was really good at that class and this teacher coach he uh suggested hey you can take uh you should take computer science um I can like recommend you for it it's the computer science course that you can take your sophomore year and so I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool, actually. I seem to be pretty good at this. So I did that, and I signed up for the class. And then the next year was when I met Miss Avery. Mm-hmm. And Miss Avery was the best. She was, yeah, Miss Avery, yay! <laughs> um, she was the first, like, female computer science teacher. And she told us her story of how she, like, started out in, like, math in college and then uh, went on to computer science where, like, the nerds are, the, like, super nerds, and, like, she's such a cool person and for her to be my teacher. And so I ended up um, like I would eat lunch in her classroom every day. And we like became really close friends outside of like just the computer science class. And so I took, I I think I took her for the last three years. Um, And that's also where I met my now husband, Jude. He was also in that class. Um, Nerds unite coming together. The perfect love story. Uh, (laughs) And so the savers who brought us together. Um, but she kind of inspired me. She was like this really cool chick that was super smart. And then, and then there were other like cool females that were just super smart and doing whatever they like were doing every day. And it wasn't just dudes anymore. And now that I was like, I mean, I wasn't an adult by any means, but I was like 16, 17, 18, starting to like be a bit more mature and they were treating me like I was more of an equal than like a child in their classroom. And I really appreciated that. And it made me see like, oh, it's actually cool to be smart because that's what all these people are doing. And I really like look up to and I'm inspired by them in a way that I hadn't before. Wow. that I heard that you had several people who helped you along the way there. Do you think that you would have been affected in the same way if, for example, Mrs. Avery wasn't there, if Miss Avery was a man, for example, or if it was somebody else? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I'm here now and I'm shaped by all of my experiences. Um, I think that I had a knack for computer science and depending on like maybe if I had just ended up with some like old, boring fuddy-duddy for a teacher. I don't know if I would have pursued it as because it was actually like a fun class to go to that I looked forward to. And that's why I took it so much. I wonder if, like, if I hadn't been as excited by it, if I would have decided to take some other course. Um, But I wouldn't say that it necessarily had to do with being a male or a female. Like, there was Mr. Pigeon, who was our uh, math teacher. And he, like, I fell in love with statistics because of him. I actually minored in math with a concentration in statistics. And uh, so I, I wouldn't say that necessarily had it not, like, if it wasn't specifically Miss Avery, I think that it could have been someone else, but I'd still need that, like, I need to feel connected to this class right. or whatever it is that's interesting me in a way that I feel, co- like, connected to it. Like, it's, I am one of you, you know? Like, how they're treating me kind of like an adult. 
like Rachel. She treated me like an adult and Mr. Pigeon. And they didn't teach you like you were a child and they have to like get knowledge in you so that you can take a test. It was like, here's these interesting things that I know and I do this and I'm a cool person. So if you learn these things, you probably <laughs> I was like, I could be as cool as Mr. Vision. I better get an A on this test. <laughs> That's really interesting because it, it sounds like it wasn't about just them being able to teach the content. Do you think that, or, or how how do you think that a teacher could build that connection with you? Like, what was it that made you feel like you were one of them, that it was finally cool to be smart or to be interested in this and that? I think, I mean, and not to like put anyone on blast here, but they didn't, they like were more personal with us, I guess. I knew more about their lives. Like in Mr. Pigeon's class on his mom's birthday every year, he would call his mom on the loudspeaker in the classroom and we would all sing happy birthday <laughs> to her. And like, that's totally cool. And that's totally a Mr. Pigeon thing to do. Or, I mean... They would, I'm not going to say who, but some of my teachers would like cuss in class. Like, <laughs> like, it was never Rachel. And I was like, no, certainly not Rachel though. No, she nope. was insane. Never, not one time. word out of her mouth. <laughs> but they would just like casually, because I mean, that's how all of us teenagers were kind of talking amongst ourselves. And now there's this teacher that like kind of talks like us. <laughs> and so then you felt like comfortable. Like it's almost the icebreaker of like, there's usually this wall of like, there's the teacher and we can't do anything bad in front of them. Like, I can't say in front of the teacher. But then I'm like, the teacher said, so I mean, I must be. Yeah. I like the logic of this. And so then it's kind that of like, may wow, or may not human. have, yes, you, uh, yes, there may or may not have been songs to teach concepts that included yeah, questionable words. Maybe, I, or possibly not. I, you know. Right. <laughs> just things like that like it it, yeah. it made them more like human you know like they weren't just the like teacher that we all had to do what they said and we got in trouble if we didn't like we were also given the chance to like give feedback on what we wanted to do and i mean obviously we needed to like learn but like what we how we wanted to learn like do we prefer like the group projects versus the whatever and um getting to do like more hands-on stuff and more like it was more of a seminar in a way there was a like back and forth interaction that we that I didn't get in other classes but like it felt like I was having a conversation and I kind of learned that it's that's how it's easiest for me to learn is conversationally it's not like one person just kind of talking at me all the time like there has to be kind of a back and forth which is also kind of how I've adopted like the teacher's pet lifestyle is I'm the one that's sitting in the front of the class and doing the interacting of like (laughs) let me answer the questions let me like nod along when you're saying things or look confused with that confused look on my face so that you know that I'm not understanding and I get like have excellent facial expressions where I'm like huh and then they (laughs) know like oh if she's confused everyone must be confused and then or maybe one other person also has a question if she has this question someone else probably does and they're not going to speak up so that's how I kind of developed that like I'll be there and I'll conversate and then (laughs) that's how I like absorbed material and kind of got on everyone's good side. Sure. So you've been working for a while now, Sam, in the different fields in computer science, including cybersecurity. Do you feel like your education uh, taught you everything you needed to know? Were you prepared for what it was when you started working? Um, no. <laughs> uh, I think there's there's like a people aspect that I didn't quite get. What do you mean? As much of, I mean... Where, like a lot of engineers were very quiet. Um, it's kind of like the the, um, the stereotype is that all engineers are like quiet and just want to like be code monkeys and hide in their basement and write code. And so that also ended up being a lot of the people that I went to school with, especially through like college. Or I mean, I won't. I, I love Miss Avery, but a lot of the folks in her class were like like super awkward. Even Jude, I, I'm not afraid to say it. he was quite a bit awkward. <laughs> Until I kind of was like, hey, how are you doing? And got him to uh, spread his beautiful butterfly wings and fly away. Uh, the social butterfly that he is now. Um, but it's not it's not known for that. And so I didn't get a lot of that interaction. So suddenly you're thrown into like a work atmosphere where you don't really have a choice. Like you have to communicate with other people. And I think that I didn't get a lot of 
that. Like I had done like group projects, but that's kind of different. Like in a group project, you're on a team and there's not like a clear cut leader that leads everything and tells you what to do. Everyone has to like get along or you have to take over. Someone has to like step up and do it. Or there's the one person that does all the work and leaves everyone behind. Like that's not how it works in the real world. Like it's, there is someone that tells me what to do every day. Like I have a boss and I'm sure in however many years when I have like, when I am supervising people, like I will be telling them what to do every day. It's not as much of a free for all. So there's kind of that structure of it. And knowing that also my discipline is part of a ton of other things, like using a bank, for example, there's obviously they need the cybersecurity to make sure that people's stuff don't get stolen. And then they need the like financial front end of it that actually like holds the money. And then you need the people that do the like user interface. And then you need the clerks that are at the desk. And then you need the guy that's making the decisions on who to give loans out to. And kind of how I fit into that whole matrix was something that they didn't really teach me. I just knew that we were the computer science nerds and that across the way was the business school. And we don't like those guys. Really? But then turns out when I like actually got into like working, like they weren't rivals anymore. Like they're the business guys. And if they're not here, then my product that I'm working so hard on doesn't get sold. So you kind of have to like kind of get along with everyone and know what they're doing. And that kind of aids in success is kind of knowing your peers, I guess, outside of your little box. Hmm. What else should young people maybe think about when they're trying to develop themselves for a field like cybersecurity or or computer science more broadly? Uh, I would definitely say diversify. Like that kind of like I did my computer science courses. I found that I really liked cybersecurity. It was something really cool for me. But also had it not turned out to be something that like I ended up being into, I still had just the basic computer science knowledge. I still was interested in statistics. I could have pursued that. I did a lot of psychology and sociology courses just as like electives because that was something I was interested in. So now I know like about marriage and family psychology and like um, sexual health and stuff in a marriage just because I took those courses. And like it's it hasn't necessarily been like I can do my coding day to day thanks to those things, but it helps me with my people interaction or when someone um, like any of the like businessy type courses I took. Now I can communicate in a way with my coworkers that like I'm not just totally not understanding speaking a different language. I can kind of speak a few different languages and it kind of makes me a little bit more flexible um, communicating with people. And then it also makes me kind of cross disciplinary. So right now if I'm in cybersecurity, if I decided I wanted to move over into embedded software or if I wanted to go to DevOps, like I could kind of move around from there. And then there's also like systems or there's a lot of um, like what my company does now, there's a lot of interfacing with the customer and if I just did like code all day and was the like quiet person that didn't communicate with anyone, that wouldn't make me a great salesperson. So to actually go out there and meet and talk with people and they don't know necessarily what I'm talking about. I can't tell them like all of the technology, like in tech speak mumbo jumbo, they're not going to understand. So having to put it in terms that they get and how their priorities aren't necessarily my priorities. They're the ones with the money. So they get to decide, like, I think the, having that diversity in my education has kind of helped me to kind of get along with lots of folks and has left me like with a whole lot of options, like super wide open for what I want to do. So I didn't have to make the choice early on. I didn't say, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? It was like, let's do this and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then that way, if I decide I don't like this tomorrow, I can do something else. I'm kind of a jack of several different trades. Yeah. What's your opinion on what you think the future holds in terms of security? Like we hear in the news all the time about how, like you mentioned, how you need to keep your private data private. And yet we see all these Facebook hacks, for example, um, which is, I don't know if that's something people predicted. Like what are these issues that are up and coming that maybe uh, young people should be aware of and maybe help tackle? I mean, it again, it comes back to that like self-awareness. I think that we need to start teaching computer literacy earlier. I know that there's, it's a lot better than when I was like in kindergarten and they taught us how to use like kid pics and I could draw a picture on the computer and like that was, and there was like one computer in the classroom, which was cool, 
now I'm hearing they're like bringing tablets into the classroom and all this other fancy stuff. And so I, they put a lot of restrictions on those things. Obviously, like the school district will put like, you can only visit like these certain websites and stuff. And I get why we need that. But then we also need to teach them in their personal lives to be able to do that and like make those decisions for themselves. Like maybe you shouldn't be on this website. Here's why. Like I could be, there was a class I was in in college where we were using the computer. It was like, it was one of my statistics courses. So we needed like Excel and stuff. So we had a computer in front of us all the time, but it didn't really have as many like controls on it. It's just college. It didn't like lock all our websites and everything ads. And so this girl gets the pop-up that says, you just want an iPad. Give us all of your information. <laughs> and she starts putting in her information. And I was like, why are you, what are you doing? I'm like, don't give them your address. She's like, well, you never know. Like, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Like, it's probably fake, but like, how will I know unless I get the iPad? And I'm like, no, what has nobody taught you? Like, I feel like now that like in this day and age, we're incorporating so much into our daily lives. There's, I mean, I'm surrounded by like at least three or four things right now that are all connected to the internet. And you got to know how to be good at that. Like, not just in the, like, I'm in a controlled environment logged into, like, the school computer. You got to know how to, like, be smart about your decisions. Maybe, I mean, let's be honest, you, you're not going to win an iPad. You're not going to win an iPad. Like, the vast majority <laughs> of us, we're not winning iPads. I've never won an iPad in my life. So I think that that's going to start becoming more of educate like the same way we're learning to read and write we also need to learn computer stuff and I guess it could take the place of I remember when I was in like fourth grade they taught me how to write a check like where you put your name and how you put the numbers and stuff like they taught me that turns out I didn't really need that very right. much checks kind of became obsolete by the time I needed that knowledge and I think that now that I don't I don't think they're still teaching kids how to write checks or like to address a letter to someone and where to put the stamp. Like that was another thing that I learned as well. Don't <laughs> it also not something I do like super often. And if I did need to do that, I could Google it. Which side do I put the stamp on? So I think just learning that, like Google, how to Google something efficiently and not come across some sketchy website that's going to try to give you an iPad in exchange for your social security number. I think that, that <laughs> needs to be part of that education. So Rachel, I understand you taught Sam physics of some sort. Yes. I guess you weren't the one teaching her how to write letters and, and no, and we sent no letters. In no, physics. we built a trebuchet though. We did. Yeah, oh, that was your by we, I mean not me. I mean, you told me to build a trebuchet. I did. Well, you had a choice—a trebuchet or a catapult. Oh, I don't know. All I remember is that it was me and Jude and like Alice Gutierrez in Jude's garage, like late at night, chasing catapults <laughs> down the street. And we decided that this wasn't pretty enough. I think we got five extra bonus points for creativity. I, so there, we went to there Walmart may have been, yes. <laughs> and we pingsy duct taped our catapult. I don't have you know, we probably got an A on that assignment. I probably did. <laughs> Do you feel like that, like what Rachel did in class, like, affected you in any way was that just part of uh getting you interested <laughs> in... i remember that yeah, <laughs> yeah i even remember that point for creativity like it was it was something very memorable and like you can teach me about trebuchets and how it's gonna be thrown across a football field and how much like what all that takes and how like I think the requirement was we had to make it a certain distance to like get the a and if it only if it just came in like splat in front of us it like the tennis ball if it just landed at our feet it didn't we didn't get points for that mm -hmm. but it needed to go like three yards or something crazy mm -hmm. and so to kind of learn the physics of how to do that i think was so much cooler than had we just sat and hypothetically thought so if i wanted to throw a ball 30 yards what, what <laughs> would i need to do with my trebuchet that's a and it's a huge project and it's one of the ones that i really enjoy assigning um because it does give the kids a lot of leeway for creativity they have to um, really consciously think about design. Um, they do have to mm -hmm. do the math in advance. Uh, well, if they want to be successful, they have to do the math in advance and, you know, make some real calculations about if I want it to go a certain distance and I want it to launch at 45 degrees, then I need to consider where is, you know, how long do I need my lever to be? Where's the fulcrum point? So on and so forth. It's not as simple as 
you know, throw a rubber band on a two by four and hope for the best. And so, and I give them a long time to do it. And there's plenty of classwork or, you know, class time uh, dedicated to performing the calculations and planning with their team. Um, But I love to see the designs that are brought in. I love to see, I mean, people bedazzle them, they paint them colors and we make, at least um, at the time I was doing it, we made a big spectacle out of it. We marched them from the classroom to the band practice pad so everybody can see all of these beautiful trebuchets and catapults. And then we launched tennis balls for a good solid hour, almost an hour and a half. And it's fun and it's amazing. Yeah, and I think that that ended up being like super memorable. And it's like, this is how... I mean, I probably wouldn't become a trebuchet builder in the real world, but it was kind of a like, this is a little bit closer to what you you would be doing every day if you decided to pursue physics versus just sitting and like doing worksheets in the classroom. Like, I don't think I've done any worksheets since I started actually working. (laughs) So everyone take note, there's no worksheets in Cyrus. (laughs) There are no worksheets, not even multiple choice. Like, Oof. All right. I don't get the bubble. You don't get answers. bubble sheets? What? I do not get bubble sheets. Shocker. In fact, Sam Houston State, we didn't do any, like, everyone, like, for the other classes, like, you took English or something, you had to have, like, your scantrons that you had to, like, pay for mm-hmm. when you bought your textbooks. And I was like, where, do, where are people using all these scantrons? Because in mine, it was like, here's a white piece of printer paper. Of course, my professor, Dr. Burris, was... I don't want to say a fossil, but he was old, um, very old fashioned. And so you'd write all of your code on like a plain sheet of printer paper. Oh, wow. With like one inch margins. And he would just go to his office. And I think that he was a machine that ate the code and then like spit out. Wow. Grades because he would like, it wasn't like turning it online. Like you, here's my code write it on out. white paper. Wow. He would write it out and he had all these stamps and stuff. Give you comments Crazy. and everything. Oh yeah, and he actually he had um uh, he had a Gandalf stamp that said "You shall not pass." Uh, <laughs> and then if, you, if you tried to BS your way through like the answer to a question, uh, he had a stamp of a pig's ass. <laughs> so like the back of it, and his legs and its little curly tail. He would stamp it with that. So if your uh, answer was obviously bullshit, you put a pig inside. Oh, all right, super right. funny. And yeah, just fear the red pen. Like, oh man, no professor could bring more tears out of a student. And so much joy on test day, he would come in in a red fedora and a red tie and like black, all black, everything else, a black button up, black pants, black shoes. And he had a trident that he would come marching in with. (laughs) And he would just have the biggest grin on his face all day. Test day was his favorite thing. And it was. I love this guy. I can't tell if it's horrible. Yeah, is it horrible or amazing? No, that's That's completely amazing. I learned a lot, but also it sucked so much. It sucked so much. It sucked so much. No, no, no. But that's a serious thing. Like everyone says that about engineering in general and and these fields. If it when it sucks, because it will sometimes. How did you get through it? Uh. Gumption. I mean, I don't want to say antidepressants, but. Oh no. Lexapro and I got well acquainted in college. Wow, this um, is no joke. All right. No, yeah, this was insane. Um, good news is he taught me Ada because, like I said, he was a fossil. The Ada, language. The old language. Yes, the the programming language Ada. Um, and everyone in class would complain, like, "We're never going to use this. Why do I need to learn Ada?" And he's like, "Well, it's the easiest one because it doesn't hold your hand like the like." He called Java the coffee language, or C was the one letter language, <laughs> or for Python, it was the snake. Um, the snake holds your hand, like it'll do all of the stuff. It's got libraries and stuff. Like you can, it's it's the language that a lot of beginners start with because it does a lot of the backend stuff for you, like memory allocation and stuff. Whereas the Ada language, it's up to the developer to do a lot of that. And so everyone's like, we're never going to use this. Why do we need to use Ada? It's a dead language. Um, but I put it on my resume anyway, and now the work that I'm doing today is in Ada. Oh, wow. I'm like, wait, you know Ada, and you're under, like, 70? I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, so that's kind of odd. But I think having 
honestly, what probably got me through it was I did a lot of internships. I think, um, like, especially after freshman year, people stop applying for scholarships and they don't really worry about internships till like their senior year. There's just this middle area of like a few years where you're like, I'm just trying to like get through. But I was always focused on, okay, what am I going to do next summer? Because I don't want to just like stay here and take classes. I kind of hated school. (laughs) It drove, like I was exhausted. I worked, um, I was a resident advisor on campus and also taking these courses. And also like, there was one day where I totaled Jude's car because I put it in drive instead of reverse. And I ran into a light pole and his airbags went off. And apparently the airbags were worth as much as the car because it was like a 12 year old car. And so I'm sobbing about this because, you know, it sucks a lot. And then we also have a Dr. Burris test at 8 a.m. that we have to study for. And Dr. Burris being the evil guy that he is, that gets a kick out of this stuff. He, um, he always has his labs due on test days. So you have this lab that you had to complete and you had to study for your test. And I totaled Jude's car and this test is in like 12 hours. And then I finally look at my phone after my sob session and all of my coworkers, um, the other resident advisors, apparently there's a thing called Firewatch, where if the fire alarm goes out in the building, you have to walk around with a megaphone so that like you do rounds every hour so that if you see a fire, you can knock on everyone's door and be like, right. get out, there's a fire. Like you are the fire alarm at that point. And they had all assigned shifts for this task because apparently it had gone out that day, like they were doing maintenance on it. And they had already picked their shifts. And because I wasn't part of the conversation, because I was crying and trying to study for this test and trying to call the insurance company, I got the 3 and 4 a.m. shifts. And so it just sucked real bad. But knowing that I, like, had something fun to do once I'd, like, I'd, like, just get through the semester and then, like, I can go somewhere cool. Like, I interned in Seattle and I got to work into it and they flew me out to Mountain View, California. And then... I was at Raytheon and doing the cool stuff that we were doing there and knowing that I could do that every summer and then applying for all of these scholarships when like, cause I mean, let's be honest, freshman year isn't when you get the most scholarships because you're not worth investing in. You're just fresh off the streets. But once you've like got a few classes under your belt and they can see you're serious about this, that's when they start handing out the scholarships. So I'm doing that. I was going to like the Grace Hopper conference for women in computing and trying to prepare for all these internships that I had like I never went a summer without an internship during college I think that was what kind of got me through in a lot of ways was doing those like really cool things and um being able to have those stories or to go back and tell my classmates like hey Ada does suck but also <laughs> you can get a job <laughs> because I mean he used to ask you could ask Dr. Burris what's your favorite programming language he would say whichever one you're paying me to write I'm like, you know, yeah, I mean, you can ask me what my favorite program is right now. It's Ada, because guess what's putting bread on the table? It's Ada. So I love Ada. It's great. (laughs) Hey, uh, so I know that we've been talking for a little while. Rachel, you reminded me, actually, that I had an idea to, uh, if you're game, to ask you, Sam, 20 questions to ask you how you tick. Oh, yeah. I had totally forgotten about this. So, uh, it's my favorite part. I don't know if that makes any sense, but we've never done this before. Not officially, no. And like the goal is, um, like you know how we ask twenty questions to your favorite musician, for example, to see how they what makes them tick, what gives them their creativity, what inspires them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of want to do the same thing for the engineers and the computer scientists that we talk to, because I I believe I think yeah. Rachel, you would argue that yeah, these yes. folks are also really creative. There's more to me than just. Hiding and writing code all day in Ada. I'm sure. I don't know anything oh, about can I Ada. Clarify? Like, in case Dr. Burris ever hears this, you're great, Dr. Burris. I love you. I didn't mean anything that I said. <laughs> Your class was awesome. I mean, it was trial by fire. I learned a whole trial lot. Trial by fire. But also it sucked. <laughs> I think you knew that it sucked. It was like sink or swim or drown. Like yeah. that. Just drown. But just in case he ever hears this, I wouldn't be like, oh, so Sam's over here. Talking about about the <laughs> no, it, it sounded loving. It yes. totally sounded like a loving <laughs> way of of talking about the horrible time that it was. It's an unofficial mascot of that place. Okay, okay. Um, so Rachel, I think like if you have anything that you want to ask right away, you should totally chime in. I, I'll start us off because I want to ask you without too much hesitation, maybe Sam, uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, Stephen King's The Stand. Mm. Mm. 
Favorite TV show? Uh, I didn't want to hesitate. To you could pass. Uh, Handmaid's Tale. Did you say Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. Oh, all right, all right. Interesting. I like it dark and upsetting. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now we're getting familiar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do on a Tuesday night? Uh, cuddle with the dogs on the couch and watch MST3K with my husband and eat nachos. Ooh. Nachos. And then take a bubble bath. That's a lot of stuff. That's awesome. I'm a simple gal. <laughs> favorite course in college? Obviously something with Dr. Burris, I would say. Oh, yeah, Dr. Burris. So <laughs> I'm, think. I mean, I'm exhausted all the time. What class did I actually look forward to? Uh, I don't know. I had a lot of fun in some classes, like not necessarily because they were like the material was my favorite, but because whoever teaching it was pretty great. Mm. Probably, I really liked my, actually... In Dr. Burris's class, um, <laughs> like software engineering as a whole, like kind of sucked, but there was the section that we did on peopleware. So there's hardware and there's software and there's firmware and there's peopleware. And we went over all the psychology of like how people work best. And IBM did all these studies on how like your uh, work environment affects your performance so much. Like, like oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep crappy chairs for their offices because they're like oh it's fine they'll be easily replaceable turns out your employees when they're uncomfortable and they have to shift around a lot or they have to get up and walk around because their chair's uncomfortable they're not getting as much done or like now i work in a scrum environment where we have the like four foot tall cubicles and if you look at the psychology of that like really six foot tall or higher is like the minimum that cube should be if you actually want the maximum output from your employees sure it's great for collaboration but that also means that i'm hearing everyone's conversation in the room at all times Mm -hmm. and so learning about all of that because again i had taken all these psychology courses as well like bringing that into software was the most interesting for me i ate that stuff it was so good oh that's cool do you still use that today in your work i mean I don't have the influence to change my office chairs, <laughs> but I do like a lot of it. It comes up all the time or like how they, um, they did some studies on, okay, what if we pipe like elevator music into the office? How does that um, affect performance versus if it's just dead silent or if we're doing white noise or something. And it found that it actually just is kind of varies by person. So I might respond to white noise, but you respond to music and one guy needs total silence to do his work my office pipes white noise in over like the speakers. Like there's always white noise going hmm. and it turns out like if they would just let us all, I mean, I use my headphones anyway and drown it out, but if everyone were just using headphones, the white noise is not really necessary. If anything, they need the white noise there right now because of the four foot cubes, everyone can hear everyone. So the white noise needs to like drown out the conversations across the way. But otherwise like, it comes up a lot. There's a lot of things that I'm at work. I'm like, oh, yeah, if we had more comfy chairs, these crappy chairs, maybe I'd be working harder. Just kidding. Um, I work super hard every day, all day, never slack. Um, but it, it comes up a lot. And I think if I were ever uh, able to get to a point where I could actually influence some of those decisions, I'd be able to reference those sorts of things. Like, yes, we all need six foot cubes. This four foot stuff is nonsense. I do not want to make eye contact with everyone <laughs> if we like look up from our computer super awkward we're all engineers we do not like direct eye contact and so perpetuating the stereotype it's it's come up a lot i haven't been able to like apply that knowledge but i've it's it's certainly something i've thought about something that's interesting yeah um what's your favorite engineering word dongle oh i shouldn't have laughed i'm sorry i'm immature yeah Um, it sounded like what what is a dongle but it's like at work the like if we need to like my laptop doesn't have an ethernet port i need the usb to ethernet dongle or if someone like hey can i borrow the dongle and the dongle's just anything something that is a usb thing maybe it's a like a temporary license for an application that's on that's on a usb stick like that's the dongle and so everyone would be talking about like yeah you need the dongle (laughs) that was that's probably my favorite i'll I'll take that to heart what is your favorite food to cook I like roasting vegetables because they turn out really tasty, but then it takes like almost no effort. Just like throw some olive oil on there. 
and some garlic and pop it in the oven and then it smells really great and it's like tastes like something real fancy you're like yes i roasted these brussels sprouts and you feel real good about yourself and then it also makes my husband eat vegetables (laughs) (laughs) nice wow it's got a it's functional as well as tasty yeah and i feel really like yes i am a five-star chef (laughs) ten-star chef right here with my broccoli that's such an engineering answer (laughs) kind of I'm maximizing efficiency. Yeah, yeah. And I feel good about myself at the end of the day. All things. All the things. These are good life tips. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's all I had. I really want to thank you, Sam, for agreeing to come on this podcast with so many unknowns, because I know you had a lot of questions and, and Pius and I were like, no, it's just fun. It's just a conversation. You're just talking about your experience. And so, yeah. It's so interesting to me as an educator to see where my students are when I when I meet them and when I have them in my classroom. And then when they are able to stay in touch, where they go and what they do and how how what I knew of them years ago translates into what they end up doing as adults. And um, to be able for you as a young person and as a woman to be able to share your experiences and your pathway with other people, I think is super important. And I'm so glad that you agreed to chat with us. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. I know that uh, we took out a lot of your time, but I do appreciate that. It was exciting. Something to look forward to in the desert. Yay! Okay. Thanks, listeners. More links to additional topics that we mentioned today are in the show notes for this episode. You can find it in your favorite podcast platform. You can also visit the podcast website for all the links and more information. The website's going to be updated soon, so I highly encourage you to check it out in the next month or so. The website is k12engineering.net. Simple, right? The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of my independent studio, Pios Labs in Austin, Texas, where I support many different engineering and education projects like this one. If you want to learn more about it, just check out the website or pioslabs.com. And if you want to support the projects financially, you can go to patreon.com slash pioslabs and donate today. So this has been your host, Pius, saying tune in next time. And thanks. Some final notes from our guest, Sam Houston, before we close out. She wanted to get on the record two things. One, she highly recommends the Grace Hopper Conference for anyone who wants to learn more about computer science, especially young women. And as you might have heard, Grace Hopper was one of the original women who was a pioneer in computer science. And so the conference, after her namesake, comes highly recommended by Sam. And there's a link to it in our show notes. The second thing that Sam wanted to mention is kind of a thank you and shout out to one of her favorite professors, Dr. Burris. She says, I quote, Dr. Burris has forgotten more about computer science than I will ever know. If that gives you an idea of Dr. Burris and what he's done. <laughs>